we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello and welcome to One More Life, the gaming podcast from RadioTimes.com. I'm your host Rob Lean and each week I'll be joined by a new guest to learn about their life with gaming. This week's guest is journalist and author Daryl Baxter, a retro gaming expert that literally wrote the book on Lara Croft. By day, Daryl is the features editor at iMore, an outlet that covers all things Apple from iPhones to Macs and beyond. By night, he writes books about gaming, the first of which was published in 2021 and titled The Making of Tomb Raider. In this chat, Daryl spoke about the nostalgia around retro gaming, which is reaching a fever pitch right now with Sonic Superstars, Super Mario Bros. Wonder, and the Metal Gear Solid Master Collection all having launched this month. Plus, the first three Tomb Raider games are getting a remaster next year. Without further ado then, let's load up that conversation. Well, Daryl, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Thanks very much, Rob. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today, sir? I'm all right. I'm all right. So, yeah, it's good to be here. I've been a fan of the podcast already. It's been going good. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're the first person who's been on who's actually been able to listen to it before we've recorded it. <laughs> for some reason, it just adds to the intense pressure that I'm feeling right now. <laughs> but, I mean, as a fan, you'll know, I always like to ask people at the start, what were like your very earliest gaming memories and games that got you into gaming in the first place? Oh, so my very first memory, it wasn't Sonic, it was Alex Kidd on the Master System. So, you know, it didn't come on a cartridge, it was built into the Sega Master System. And it was at a friend's, it was a, they lived across the street from us. And I just couldn't believe it, this box that had Alex Kidd, this little kid, you know, you would like bounce on these blocks and the wrong one would have this ghost who would just like kill you instantly. And then... <laughs> there would be this um, you go to the water in the first level and there'd be this frog which was just haunting as anything and it's weird because the game itself is really good the bosses are rock paper and scissors oddly but it's the frog that many people remember and I remember and I had nightmares from it since so yeah what is it about the frog that makes it so haunting oh, it's the eyes Rob it's the <laughs> eyes it's, it's, there's something about it and when the music stops as well um, which is also a weird thing as well because you'd expect something like Mario for me just to keep going and going and going but when you reach this frog, it was something else. It was it was creepy. It was Resident Evil Village vibes already. <laughs> <laughs> I think that should be the next Resident Evil. That should be like a frog villain. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Who were you kind of gaming with in those early days? Just me, myself and I, really. So my sister's a couple of years younger than me. But yeah, it, it was prevalent. Like mainly that me, really, because it wasn't until Christmas 94 that I actually got a, a Mega Drive. 
and Sonic 3, and that was like the main like memory as well. I just couldn't believe this this other like box where it had all this amazing music and certain cutscenes and stuff. But obviously Sonic 3 had a competition mode as well. So me and my sister would play that now and again and stuff. But it just kind of went from there really. But I would say, you know, in an age of where there wasn't online gaming so much um, on a console, um, yeah, that's really kind of the the main one really nice i feel like uh sonic has done a lot better for himself compared to alex kid <laughs> what's, what's alex kid doing these days Jimmy? i mean there was a remaster or a remake of the uh, of that game in question and i've played it on ps5 and it is really good i mean you've got like a uh, remade graphics it's almost like a halo anniversary kind of thing we can switch between the graphics and you can see that frog as well remade in all its glory <laughs> <laughs> they all come flooding back Jimmy. indeed yeah judge's trauma and <laughs> yeah so I think he was meant to be Sega's mascot, but I think Sonic happened in 91 and, you know, we just went from there. Yeah, it's, it's weird to think that there's maybe a timeline where Alex Kidd is the one who's got the, the big movie deal <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's amazing just how things have worked out in, in those regards, yeah. And are there any games from that era that you would still like to come back that haven't had the remake treatment already? Oh, man. I mean, the thing is, there's there's so many from that era, not just Mega Drive, but PS1 as well, because... I got a PS1 a couple of years after, and so I was like playing Tomb Raider for the first time, uh, Descent, Roscoe McQueen, Ridge Racer. And you know what? I was going to say Ridge Racer Type 4, like a remake, but there is a platformer called Pandemonium, which is incredible. A 2.5D platformer in a time where developers were kind of like getting used to that 3D graphics. And it was just so random. You know, where you've got these magical powers where you can, like, freeze, like, goblins. Um, you've got random bosses where you've got, like, an eye that has mechanical spider legs that you run around an arena and everything else. Amazing. They did a sequel. That was bizarre. That was more like a Buddhist storyline. And, yeah, indeed, yeah, there's a, a Buddhist uh, final boss as well in the genie. Um, but I'd love to see that come back, really, in some way. It was really good. Yeah, that would be cool. I'm imagining... Uh... Trying to picture how the Buddhist belief system could have factored into this game, but I don't, maybe just don't elaborate on it, and we can all yeah, just yeah, imagine yeah. ourselves. Yeah, just go back to the frog; it's fine. <laughs> yeah, just keep describing things that gave you nightmares. <laughs> and over the the whole course of your life, which games do you think you've put the most sheer hours into, Daryl? Oh man, uh, I think. Well, I mean, you've got Tekken Three, Super Smash Brothers. I think like the big one really um, has got to be Tomb Raider really, um, especially the first three games. I mean, it's like I said, I came across the first Tomb Raider game as a demo disc. So when you got a PlayStation 1, you'd have that demo disc, you'd have the tech demo of the dinosaur and the, um, was it Jellyfish, I think it was? It was ridiculous, but there was a level where I just didn't know what to do because it was a jump from Sonic 3, a 2D game, to a fully fresh 3D <laughs> game of Tomb Raider um, where you randomly find a bear in a stable for some reason um, instead of a horse, but a bear, you know, because of course. And yeah, it just kind of went from there. So I remember asking Tomb Raider 2 for Christmas and re just playing those repeatedly, getting the secrets, unlocking the level in Tomb Raider 3, the secret level, all hallows. So much time invested in that role, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to imagine that as well, because imagine going back and telling your younger self, you're going to speak to most of the people that worked on this game. You're mm. going to write the pretty definitive book on the topic of the making of this game. Like, would that have blown your mind, do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I've just like kind of come back from a, like a, a con, a Tomb Raider con, uh, TR27. So it was in Derby at the Quad. Um, a guy called Luke Hill arranged it. And he asked me to host a talk um, all about Tomb Raider 3's development because it's its 25th anniversary. 
and just asking the questions about like deleted levels like Peru or why Lara was meant to have a knife but didn't, asking all about these things. And even like two years before that, at TR25, where, you know, myself and a few of the devs were being asked about the book. Absolutely surreal. Like, I just would not, I, I would love to ask like the Daryl of like 97 of what he would think of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've just completely blown his mind because when you're a kid, you don't necessarily realize how many people have worked on a game or that you just think they just exist and come into your life. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, about like seven, eight people worked on the on the first game. And then, you know, it's, it's slightly doubled as the games went on. Um, but now in this day and age, you know, you've got like hundreds of people working on these Tomb Raiders and, and other games as well. It's, it's amazing. And what, what was kind of your process of going into writing a book about it. imagine it wasn't easy to kind of track down all these people well no it was a funny thing really because i mean this harkens back really to when i like first got into writing really because back when i was at nottingham trent university um, they had a student magazine called platform and they did like a uni-wide email of we want like you know people to kind of write for the magazine and i just randomly went yeah right never written a thing before never <laughs> at all and i was like what can i write about oh yeah tomb raider 2 venice Let, let's talk about that and it just kind of went from there. And they managed to get some budget to print out the magazine. And I first saw like my words in a printed magazine. I thought, oh, wow, this is something else. And someone just went from there. And I got chatting to the composer of the first three games, Nathan McCree. First ever interview I did over Skype. Um, could not believe it. That went in. And it just went from there. And there was an idea that was planted. I thought, there's a story to tell here of the original game. I just thought there really is something there. And then um, it got to uh, just COVID um, when things were just kind of like starting to break down, essentially, lockdown and everything. And I thought, you know what? It's either going to be now or never. So I uh, did a pitch uh, to a publishing company, Pen and Sword, and accepted it. And because everyone was locked in, I did all like the interviews over Zoom and Skype. And that's just kind of how it all went. And, and here we are, we've got a book now with all the stories about it. <laughs> yeah. And it must be cool now that, I mean, touch wood, we're no longer in a society that needs to, to lock down in that way, hopefully mm. anytime soon. It must be cool to go to events like TR27 and to have people come up to you at the end with the book in their hands and say, give me your autograph, <laughs> man. That must be cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, I was at this event. I was at the TR25. They were just, you know, handing me the books to sign and stuff and everything. It never gets old because I just feel so lucky that I've been able to do this. And it's also the fact as well, like you have people coming up to you saying like, these games were an inspiration for me. They made me like discover like who I was. Like I'm I'm trans. I'm, I found out that, you know, there, there's other things about me because of these games that have helped me. And then they say about that, how the book may say how like they're envious of me that I've written this book. And it's just amazing. It definitely never gets old because it's just nice to have that have that impression and at the convention just so many people it was it just incredible to see so many people dress up as Lara as well someone dressed up as Winston the butler would you believe <laughs> he actually bought like a, a blue teapot on the tray and he won the cosplay competition <laughs> but it was something else Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> and did he manage to escape the the conference or did he get locked into a, uh, a freeze or something he was almost lured into the freeze at the quad <laughs> kitchen bit but luckily someone kind of diverted him <laughs> <laughs> in all the kind of work you've done around Tomb Raider have you kind of developed an idea of why you think it was so beloved and why it had such a kind of lasting impact that it had. 
I think it's a mix of a few things. So I think in the mid nineties, I mean, like Britpop was abound. Um, you also had like legendary Spice Girls, of course. Um, <laughs> and but even though like development started in like late ninety four, I mean, and the game came out in ninety six, and then you know subsequent years and games after. I think it's like a mix of nineties Britpop, Ledets up to a point as well, and you know like the like the FHM magazines as well as things like that. And it just kind of went from there because it's it's strange how it's gone from how Laura Croft is seen as like a, a personified, you know, sexiness and everything there. And now she's pretty much like a gay icon. And it's amazing, really, just how much, you know, that's uh, that nostalgia has kind of come back now in this modern age. Yeah, it's been like reclaimed in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Did you manage to at the uh, event in Derby the other day, get these guys talking about the, the remaster collection that, that's coming up, which I know is something you yourself must be very excited about. Is it the first three they're doing? Yeah, First three, yeah. So I had no idea about this. So uh, so the uh, Nintendo Direct uh, was announced and I was <laughs> walking um, just in town and I had it um, had it playing in my, po- in my pockets with like an audio stream thing. And... As soon as the announcer said, like, a Raider Returns, I'm thinking, oh, it's maybe just like the Lara Croft uh, Guardian of Light games, you know, the top-down versions. And as soon as he went, the first three games get remastered, I just stopped walking. I just thought, <laughs> just what's this about? Yeah, just, <laughs> just what's this? And then, yeah, because I was in a WhatsApp group with all the devs for the talk, I was like, I know I've sent you the questions and everything, and we're good to go, but we're going to have to talk about this at the end. So at the talk, we like did all the whole questions about everything, and at the end, I was like... This is usually the point where the talk would end, but <laughs> there was a remaster that came out, so we did talk about it. And uh, one of the devs did say that Aspire, the devs who were working on the remasters, they reached out to them to see whether there's any uh, uh, like missing levels they can put in, um, any developer you know like tidbits they could put in and stuff. Because a few people don't know this, but there was a level in Tomb Raider three called Peru, and it got removed. And for years, people wondered what that was. And at the talk. They just confirmed that it was just like a showcase level for E398. Just showcasing the lighting, the new moves, everything. And Aspire like, asked like whether Peru was, you know, could be retrieved, and it wasn't. But yeah, they have been approached, and it'll be interesting to see whether they put stuff into this remastered because there's so much they could do, really. And when you look at like say the apparent modern controls, 4K graphics, 60 frames. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, really. But yeah, they have been approached. So I think watch this space on that. Yeah, it's good to know they have gone back to the source. It's always slightly um, trying to get like deleted or cut content that was made, like say for an E3 or something, to mm. try and to try and get it back at this stage because Aspire was in hot water recently because mm. they promised they could bring back the KOTOR 2 missing... KOTOR, what is that, yeah, Rob? It's, it's, it's a Star Wars game. Oh, Let me tell okay. you about it. Um, <laughs> but because no, they they had promised on the remake of uh, not the remake the port to switch of Kotor two Knights of the Old Republic two that, mm. um, oh we're going to bring back the, the missing planet that famously the developers didn't manage to finish on time because it was such a quick turnaround yeah. and then a, a few months later after the port had come out they were like we actually can't do this <laughs> <laughs> please apply for your refunds here like yeah yeah I mean that's the thing with Aspire I mean they are a fantastic company I mean like. I've been playing like Kotor on my iPhone and they you know, did the remaster of that and it's fantastic. So I think they are like a great company to have like with these remasters and stuff. But yeah, it's a, I think sometimes it's just kind of like, just like the passion of time, isn't it? I mean, you sometimes you promise something, you think it's going to work and the 11th hour, it just, it just doesn't. So unfortunately, it's just, it's just one of those things, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like you can have the right idea and the right intentions then you actually go to see 
what remains of what they're trying to retrieve it might be like non-existent <laughs> yeah i mean it goes back to tomb raider because i mentioned this in the book where a lot of cut content in tomb raider one i mean there was going to be like dynamite there was going to be um, like a map screen as well they were going to do something with the uh, final section of the game for anyone who isn't aware and um, spoilers but you face the antagonist natler in this pyramids falling down to pieces and then you just go down a slope and then that's the end of the game and that's it but they want to do something else but they ran out of time so there's stuff like that really that could come back in the remaster perhaps as optional content but yeah there's a lot of stuff that they could grab from the first three games to put in jumping off from tomb raid the remaster for that is early next year i think right february 14th so that's officially lara's birthday oh that's nice <laughs> happy birthday didn't know she was born on valentine's day indeed yeah <laughs> <laughs> If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. And we've been talking a lot about the making of Tomb Raider, yeah. your book. Can you tease or say anything? Have you got another one in the works? What's coming up next on, <laughs> yeah. the, on the book side, Darren? Yeah, so uh, the publishing uh, company were really pleased with the making of Tomb Raider. And, you know, I mean, TR27 proved that there was a huge like you know, demand for the story out there. But yeah, there is a second book. Um, it's not about Tomb Raider. I, I know, I'm sorry. Um, but I can't say much right now. It's out in April. It's at the design stage right now. It revolves around a certain aspect of games, really, which kind of, I think, disappeared in the ether for a few years. And I think it's come back thanks to certain games. So yeah, that took a while because it was a lot of interviews and stuff but I'm really happy with how it turned out I have been asked whether there's going to be um, like a sequel to the making of Tomb Raider I think just watch this space at the minute because yeah I think a lot of that also comes down to playing the games as well because Tomb Raider 4 and Angel of Darkness you know you got to really kind of get into those games <laughs> but yeah I'm not saying there is one but I think watch this space you're not saying there's not one <laughs> <laughs> who knows Rob <laughs> So yeah, kind of j jumping off from that, there's lots of these kind of retro icons seem to be making a bit of a comeback at the moment. I know you've been playing the, I'm going to get the title of this right, the Metal Gear Solid <laughs> Master Collection Volume 1. Yes. What have your impressions been of that? Well, first of all, I can't believe all my wishes have been coming true lately. So <laughs> we've got Sonic Origins last year with Sonic 3. Um, we've got Metal Gear Solid and then Tomb Raider. So I'm really not sure what's next, Rob, to be fair. But yeah, I have been playing it. And... I've been I've come away impressed because I regard the very first Metal Gear Solid to be an all-time classic, one of my favourites, alongside Tomb Raider and Sonic. And I just finished it in one go <laughs> with Metal Gear Solid 1. And it's really good. It's really faithful. I think a few people were expecting it to have like a widescreen thing or redone textures and things like that. But they've gone the other way. What they've done is that they've kind of like remastered like the like that PS1 shimmer. So, you know, like when you're playing someone, it almost feels like there's like wavy textures happening, you know, in the <laughs> game. They brought that into the port, but they've also kind of made some effects that I noticed. So there's like a, almost like a ghostly shimmer with Ninja when you're fighting him. But there are some other things that I noticed. There's like a, so in the radar bit with the red dot and the enemies, 
slightly like misaligned, uh, which is interesting. There's some clipping when you get to the elevator and some cutscenes. When you go into the torture scene, and spoilers, you get your gear back. One of the antagonists, Revolver Ocelot, he puts a bomb into the, your gear and you have to select it and throw it. That's not in there for some reason. So there are some like strange ones that, I, that could be just bugs at the minute. But overall, I love it. Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3. And um, the loading is just instant. Um, every codex screen, every cutscene, it is instant. There is no loading. I'm not sure if that's because I played it on PS5. But everything instant. I've come away impressed. Metal Gear Solid 3, it feels like they've almost redone the menu items and things. And everything just looks really good in the jungle as well. It's fantastic. But that's not even just starting to mention all the content as well. You've got the original Metal Gear 1 and 2. You've got the books, you've got the graphic novels, you've got everything there. And the VR machine in Metal Gear Solid 1, it's a lot, Rob, and it's really good. So I think fans of Metal Gear Solid will love it, and I think newcomers will appreciate it as well. It'd be great. I was going to ask you, do you think newcomers, this collection would be a good way to kind of get up to speed with everything, or does it require you to have much prior knowledge going into it, do you think? No, I think this is where this collection shines, because they've done books where it explains all the characters, all the codex, all the story, everything. It, it's really like comprehensive. So any newcomers can just jump in. I mean, I'd recommend really with the VR missions. So for anyone's not aware, these are like an expansion pack for Metal Gear Solid in uh, America and Europe. Um, Japan had it as an integral collection, they called it, where you've got so many missions, like you can just use the weapons, you can like sneak, um, sneak missions, beat times and stuff. Random missions where you can fight an enemy-sized Godzilla and he roars like Godzilla. A Sherlock Holmes-inspired puzzle missions as well, uh, which is interesting. So those are great ones to get into and get started with. Some of the stuff that Kojima has come up with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All harkens back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's a few different games in there. What's the correct order to play them in? Because the, the, I know the numbering mm. doesn't go like one and two and then solid or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So the reason why it's solid from what Kojima says anyway is the fact that it was because the series went from sprites, a, a sprite-based game on the NES and MSX to polygons with the PlayStation 1. So that's why it was solid. So it's weird. It's almost like a Star Wars thing. Like, which ones would you watch in order, you know? I would really start with Metal Gear Solid, just the original because some of the references back uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, Solid Snake, because when you, uh, I'm not going to spoil this bit, but with Ninja, it references the previous game and other things as well. So I think that'd be a great one to play, then go to Metal Gear 1 and 2, then Metal Gear Solid 2, and then go from there. So yeah, definitely the best order. That is quite a story. That's like your machete order reverse. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so what's the one they're doing, like the full proper remake of? Phantom something? Um, so that's Snake Eater, Metal Gear Solid Snake 3. E yeah, yeah. yeah, so they're calling it Metal Gear Solid Delta uh, for whatever reason. So from impressions, it seems like they're doing a, a remake that's almost akin to the Crash and Spyro trilogy. So same gameplay and everything. It just looks like the graphics are getting a big glow up, um, which is great. Can't wait to play it. Um, yeah, um, I mean, it's early days at the minute. They've only released a few screenshots in the trailer. It looks like the release date will be in 2024. So it looks good. I just really want to see like how they do the end boss, which is for anyone not aware, a sniper boss. You go through huge landscapes and you try and find him. And it's just amazing. And to have that in a 4K remade area, I'd love to see how that would go. I was thinking about that. I remember you describing that to me once before. I was thinking about that while I was playing Spider-Man 2 recently. There's a bit 
It's not exactly like that, but there's a bit where you're fighting Craven and he kind of like stuns you and then it's like, oh, yeah. where is he? He's kind of in the shadows somewhere. And it was reminding me of that. I don't think they go quite as far as what you've described. Like there's this whole area he could be in. <laughs> he's, he's never that far away. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's the thing. I mean, I think like Stealth and Metal Gear Solid made a huge impact when it did. I mean, it inspired, well, at least I imagine it inspired games like Siphon Filter as well. I mean, I think a big part of someone's memory of Siphon Filter is using the taser and just, you know, firing that at people <laughs> randomly. Um, but, you know, Apologies to go back to the Tomb Raider 3, yeah. but, um, you know, one of the guys who worked on the AI for Tomb Raider 3, where you did a bit of stealth and sneaking, you know, they said, like, it was partly inspired by Metal Gear Solid. So it all kind of, like, goes back, you know, to all these things. So I'd be interested to see, like, how Delta kind of approaches certain boss stages um, more than ever, really. But I know with their original Metal Gear Solid 3 Game of the Year edition subsistence, they did uh, Snake This Is Monkey from Ape Escape. I don't know if you rec remember those games. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to see that remade as well. They probably won't, <laughs> but I would love to see that happen too for Delta. Yeah, <laughs> and then meanwhile, it seems like uh, Kojima's doing Death Stranding too, right? So he's, mm -hmm. he's busy over in, in that side. So I guess Konami can kind of do what they want with, with what he's left them. Well, yeah, that's it, yeah. I mean, I think Delta, well, Metal Gear Solid 3 is like the obvious choice for a remake, really. Because you look at Metal Gear Solid, I mean, it, it did get its own remake in 2003 with Twin Snakes for GameCube, uh, made by Silicon Knights who made Eternal Darkness. Really good, but because it lifted the controls from Metal Gear Solid 2, it made a lot of bosses so much easier with first-person aiming. So the first boss with Ocelot, you could just do in about two minutes flat easily. <laughs> so it, it depends really how um, they could approach it, but... I mean, personally, I'd love to see like a remake of Metal Gear Solid 2 to see that tank could be remade. Because when I was playing the Master Collection, um, just after beating Olga on the port bow of the ship, and you climb up this ladder in 4K, they haven't redone like the textures of the uh, of just New York. It's very 2D and very pixelated. I'm thinking, let's just get New York there. <laughs> you know, I'd love to see that. But uh, yeah, it's interesting, really. I'm keen to kind of see how Death Stranding 2 is, but also the first game, how that's going to play on iPhone as well. That could be different. <laughs> oh, that's quite a good point to transition to talk about your day job at iMore, covering yeah. the, the wide world of, of mainly Apple products and, and services. Yeah. We're at an interesting point now in what Apple seems to be trying to get into, into gaming in a bigger way, right? How yeah. Would you, how would you uh, sum it up? Yeah, I mean, they've tried this a few times before. I mean, a lot of people forget that back in 2010, Apple and Valve like kind of worked together to um, get Steam on macOS, and they made a massive deal about it with Half-Life 2 and Portal and everything. And it wasn't until the Macs moved to their own chips, the M1 chip, that Steam just, it was just left by the wayside and that was it. Um, which was a shame, but Apple have had their own thing called Apple Arcade. So a subscription service um, where they've been pushing like a lot of games, a lot of ports. Um, and a lot of people have been saying like a, well, a lot of people have been doing like a wait and see approach because they feel like they've been burned before by this. Yeah, you don't want to invest loads in making a game for, for Apple. Yeah, yeah. But I think we saw uh, from the announcements that Death Stranding is coming to iPhone and Mac. So is uh, Resident Evil Village, Resident Evil 4 remake. You know, you're getting the actual console versions on these devices now. And it feels like there is like a massive push now where Apple are going, right, we've got cut the rope and crossy road and everything. That's fantastic. But let's look at Resident Evil. Let's look at all these other games that could come. I mean, even Assassin's Creed Mirage, that's coming as well. I mean, I'm not sure how it'll play on a <laughs> six inch iPhone, but I think it's the fact that it's there, which I think is going to be a great pull for many. So, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. And it sounds like it's not 
It's not like a cloud streaming thing. It's like we're somehow going to get Assassin's Creed Mirage to actually run on your phone, which is, seems a bit yeah, <laughs> Yeah, that's it. It's not going to be the Switch route of just playing these cloud versions of Resident Evil on a Switch, but you've got to have a constant connection. I never understood that, really, um, because the Switch is meant to be played you know, anywhere you want, but it doesn't have a cellular connection. So, yeah, anyway, by the by. But I am interested to see like, how this works, really, because um, I believe with Resident Evil 4 Remake, say like you play it on an iPhone, you save your progress, you can then resume it on a Mac and then just go from there. So it's it's really great to kind of see this push now. And I think with macOS Sonoma, the latest macOS update, um, they've made it easier for developers to port games over as well. But there are some in the community who have taken advantage of this. <laughs> and you've been playing like certain games like Dark Souls 3, like full speed um, on a Mac, which is just, it was unheard of years ago on a Mac. So I'm of the opinion of being hopeful now and I feel like this is just the start of things to come for the gaming on Apple devices really. Yeah, I shall I shall watch it with, with great interest to yeah. see uh, <laughs> how, because uh, I'm picturing in my head that like if you're trying to play a game like Assassin's Creed Mirage on a phone that it's going to be you can only kind of see like a keyhole view of it because <laughs> yeah. they can't kind of load in the whole world or whatever but I'd be yeah, fascinated to see what it ends up looking like. Yeah, I think the other fact as well is the, uh, the touch controls as well because in the trailer for Resident Evil 4 remake, there's this one split frame where it shows the touchscreen controls and it's all over the iPhone. <laughs> We're like controlling Leon and you've got all this going on. I mean, I've got like a USB-C uh, controller now for my iPhone and it and it works great, but I oh, think... What, uh, what make did you get? I've got a Backbone one, which is quite nice. Yes, that's the one, yeah, yeah. And just playing that is fantastic, but I think... That's also the next struggle, really, for Apple and everyone else. To do people really want to carry a, a game controller uh, with an iPhone? You know, that's I think that's the next challenge. Don't get me wrong, like Switch Lite, Switch, and all these Android handhelds as well. I think they are breaking down the barrier to entry for that. But I also feel like there comes a point where you know maybe Apple should make its own gaming controller for these games as well. You know, just to kind of like make it easy, if that makes sense. Yeah, that would be cool. It's kind of like a third party no man's land at the moment, right? Of people making yeah. this kind of stuff. <laughs> and you see, like, it was a Snapdragon one I saw at an event once. It's basically like they've kind of molded a controller onto a onto a phone and been like, <laughs> is this what people want? Maybe it is. Maybe in a few years it will be, but yeah. people will, will uh, vote with their, with their well, cash, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we're at the point now with these iPhones and other devices where they can render like PS4 level games now, you know. We're not really far from seeing like a PS5 like level really of it could be uh, Demon Souls the remake perhaps you know or even like Spider Man two I mean I'm not ex expecting to be swinging around New York you know on an iPhone 17 soon but it's at the point where it's like well well why not what what is the issue with playing this on an iPhone um, compared to playing it on something like a Steam Deck, which, you know, is a struggle to pack in a, in a suitcase, really. <laughs> Before I forget, we had a, a listener who wrote on the Apple Podcasts reviews and mentioned that they were looking for Apple Arcade recommendations of, of games to play on there. Uh, mm. I thought there'd be no better person to ask than, than Daryl Baxter. So <laughs> anything you'd recommend on there while we wait to see if you can really play Resident Evil 4 on an iPhone. <laughs> what, what can we play on an iPhone now that you'd recommend? Well, you know what? I think this year is like Apple Arcade is really coming to its own, really. You know, you've got like remastered games like Stardew Valley, for instance, which is amazing. But you've also got like exclusive Apple Arcade games now. So you've got something called Cypher 007. So it's a really interesting one where it's a top-down uh, game where you play as James Bond, but 
some of the scenes are set from previous films so you'll be like controlling Bond like avoiding like security cameras enemies and things you can you know do a touchscreen if you want you can play it on Apple TV you can do it on iPad and it's really addictive it's really good I don't know if you like remember the uh, Hitman Go games oh, or yeah. Crop. yeah it kind of harkens back to that but it's really great to see like what the uh, Bond franchise is doing with this now because I remember like like Bond games like GoldenEye and Nightfire everything or nothing and now it's this and now we've got the IO Interactive thing so a game like this would be great and the other one actually I, I have to mention because I was playing this on the way Ridiculous Fishing X um, so <laughs> it, it, it's, it's pretty much as the title says um, you're on a boat you're fishing away and ridiculously you have to swipe as much as you can to make sure your hook um, gets on the right fish, to get a count of all the points and everything, so you can get like a better guns to you know shoot the fish in the sky if you wish, certain cranes in the, in the water as deep as you go, and it's addictive as anything. So those two games I really recommend for arcade. Nice, nice, yeah. I was wondering how ridiculous could fishing get, but then you started describing it. I was like, that sounds quite ridiculous. <laughs> Just a bit. Speaking of, of things that are ridiculous on Apple Arcade, there's two games I really like on there. Uh, from the same developer whose name I forget, but the first one was called What the Golf, mm. which was like a little puzzle game, and it's, it starts off looking like it's a little golf game. Like you pull back to kind of hit the golf ball, and you're trying to get it in the hole. So it looks like a pretty normal golf game, and then from like the second level onwards, it's like, oh, now the hole's moving, or now, or now <laughs> you're controlling the hole instead of controlling the, the ball, and it's like it just kind of gets like more and more surreal as as you kind of go through these levels. And eventually, you're on like your little golf ball going through like a spaceship, trying to like escape back to uh, to outer space or something. <laughs> uh, so yeah, what the golf? That was that one. And then more recently, the same company has done one called What the Car, which is basically the same concept. But uh, you start off as a car going down the road, and then it just kind of goes more and more surreal as you kind of go through the different levels. So those two, I'm pretty sure, are both still on Apple Arcade, and I love those two. Worth checking out. And then the only other thing I've really spent a lot of time on on Apple Arcade recently was Football Manager 23, which I played far too much. <laughs> Last time me and my wife were on holiday and got fully addicted to it. Um, it was like English, t- typical English holiday if you go away and then it starts raining and it's like, I don't know what I've got downloaded on Apple Arcade. But did you complete it? <laughs> That's the thing, you can't complete it. Um, but uh, my version of completing it was uh, managing not to get sacked in a particular week of fixtures that uh, was was pretty cursed. Uh, and once I got through that week without getting sacked, I was like, save it. <laughs> save it that moment and uh, don't go back to it because you'll only ruin it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it sounds good. Uh, yeah, so that would be my recommendations for Apple Arcade. And uh, sorry to pull you all over the place, but going back to the uh, retro icons making a comeback for a minute, mm. by the time this episode comes out, we'll have... When this is, it feels bizarre to say, we'll have a brand new 2D side scrolling Sonic game, which, <laughs> yeah. is, which is uh, Sonic Superstars will be out by this point. And also a new Super Mario Brothers game will be out on Switch at this point, Super mm. Mario Bros. Wonder. What are your feelings about these two kind of icons making a comeback? What are you kind of hoping to see from, from these games? I mean, it's just like another monkey paw wish, really. They got granted. I mean, <laughs> like two side scrolling games re- return. I mean, when I saw the trailer for Superstars, I was amazed just how how good it looks, really. And from what I heard from the previews, like it, it feels like the original Sonic games, you know, 1, 2, 3, and, and Mania up to a point as well that was released um, many years after. Looks fantastic. Um, great that they have um, one of the original creators in Mishima. It looks fantastic with Superstars. Um, I, I really can't believe just how good the music sounds as well. It, it's really great. And um, 
the thing is, a lot of people have said like it, it reminds me of like the true Sonic Four. I feel more like a Sonic Five because if I there think... was a Sonic Four, right? Was it made by different people? We never talk about that. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it like Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very, very floaty yeah, physics, but uh, a class Mania Sonic uh, Mania yeah. Sonic Four, and this is Sonic Five. But yeah, it looks really, really good. I mean, have you played Superstars? I've been playing a bit of it. The first time I played it was at. Uh, Gamescom, the conference back in August, and it was great because it has this whole multiplayer element where you can have, I think it's up to four people in a level at the same time, yeah. which is absolutely bananas in a Sonic level because it's <laughs> like everything's moving really quickly. You're kind of washing off the screen, falling down a hole, landing on a spine <laughs> times like four. Uh, and it, everyone was kind of curious to see how does this actually work? How does the game actually kind of track what's going on? And it's basically whoever's furthest along in the level is kind of like th the main character in that moment. So if you've kind of fallen a bit behind, a bit like in Rayman Legends, if you've fallen a bit behind, your character can kind of pop up again later yeah. kind of thing. But yeah, so that was really cool. And uh, the, the best thing that happened in, in the Gamescom booth, there's maybe six or seven of us all playing it on, on Switches around like uh, the edge of this little conference booth. And as everyone was on the way out, I was waiting to ask if they had like any screenshots or stuff we could use for, for our coverage about it. And while I was kind of waiting for my turn to talk to the PR, I heard someone else on their way out. I don't know anything about this person other than that. And this is, I, I assume they're maybe not like a huge Sonic person. Maybe they're a bit younger than us and didn't have all that nostalgia. <laughs> but they were kind of coming out and saying as a negative, oh, I was really fast though. I couldn't really keep up with like what was happening on the screen. I'm it was, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, it was just too quick. It's moving so fast from left to right. I didn't know what was happening at any given moment. I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's like the magic of an early Sonic <laughs> yeah. game. Is that one that you've suddenly whacked into a, a creature and you've lost all your coins? Then. Yeah, yeah. Coins, rings. Or, you, or your rings. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm <laughs> I've been jumping between Sonic and Mario this week. It's, uh, coins, is it rings? I'm kind of waking yeah. up in a cold sweat about it. But yeah, then I've played a little bit more of it at home solo over the last couple of days. And what I've found cool is that they've done loads and loads of like those little Sonic mini games that you'll get like kind of halfway around the level and then you'll see a big ring that you can jump through yeah. and stuff like that. I reckon it's about, I don't know, three or four of them in each level. So it's like, you'll, I think you have to have the right amount of uh, rings to activate them. There are loads of little mini games like that. The levels are really fast. Uh, I think if you've ever liked like a 2D side-scrolling Sonic, it seems like you'll probably like this one. The graphics, I almost wish they hadn't modernized the character models and kept them like a little more kind of retro looking. But yeah. I think you can probably get skins that make them look like that. Mm. I haven't worked out how to change skins yet. I have worked out how to change... You get kind of different abilities. I think these are meant to help you if you're not playing it with other people. So it's things that you can kind of summon for like five seconds or something like an army of, of clones that will kind of whoosh across the screen in whatever direction you're facing, which can be handy if there's like a boss who's trying to get you yeah. to hit different things in different places. So there are a few little abilities like that and you can kind of swap between them. But yeah, it's really cool. I, I really like it. I'm. Uh, it's very much the same as Sonic Origins. It has the same kind of in-between Especially, at the, I've noticed it at the start. I don't know if they do it again later. I assume they do it at the end. Or they'll have these kind of like cartoon cutscenes of yeah, like yeah. Sonic running along, uh, kind of getting into whatever scrape kind of kicks off the, the story. <laughs> um, so it definitely feels like if you liked the Sonic Origins collection of all the old ones, it kind of feels like the natural successor to that. Um, we're just calling it. I've played less of Mario Wonder. I've probably played about an hour of that. But yeah, if it, it is also cool. The good thing about Mario Wonder is. And I think this is why it's called Mario Wonder, is they basically wanted to add into every level 
like an element of wonder like you think you're just going for a normal level but mm. then you get to this point and there's like a twist yeah. and then uh, I was in one where all of the um, piranha plants kind of started singing at you and it kind of briefly turned into like a little musical right. level. Uh, and then you kind of get through that bit and uh, everyone's like, oh, back to normal now. That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of little things like that where uh, you'll get, I think, what they call, like a wonder seed or a wonder plant. And then that will kind of trigger like a kind of transformative state for the, for the level for, for a, a temporary period anyway. But yeah, stuff like that. It's really cool. Very imaginative. Yeah. Uh, interesting that these two games are coming out at pretty much the exact same time. I think there's maybe three days between them, I think. Yeah, it's like the classic verses of the 90s, isn't it? Like Sonic versus Mario. But you know what? I feel like nostalgia has been like a powerful thing for years now in gaming. It really has. And I almost kind of feel like people are kind of exhausted of like the open world, you know, sprawling adventure games. They want games like this. They want games like the remasters to kind of, you know, not just like revisit certain things from their childhood, but approach new things as well. It's like, oh, it'd be a great, like a weekend game, you know, play Metal Gear Solid 1, like just for a few hours and just see what happens. Whereas when it comes to, say, like Assassin's Creed Mirage, you're going to be playing that for hours online. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just think it's a nice change, isn't it, really, when it comes to that? Yeah, it's nice to have the option of both. And I think what's cool about Sonic Superstars and Crash Bandicoot is the other example I can think of, mm. where it's like, They've remastered all the ones they want to remaster. And now they're like, well, we could make a new game, but in, in the style of the old game, because mm. people really like that. So yeah. I think that there were maybe, I don't know what would have happened if, um, what was the Sonic open world one last year? Frontiers. Yeah, I think if Sonic Frontiers had been like a massive hit, maybe they would have just been like, let's stick with this. But um, mm, that was I guess they're probably one. both in development at the same time anyway. But. Yeah, I mean, Sega have been doing this for years where they've done like a 3D Sonic and also a 2D one. They did it with Sonic Forces, Sonic Mania, and it looks like they're doing this again. Uh, like Final DLC for Frontiers, it's now out, and you've got Sonic Superstar. So I think that's a, that's a really great thing. I kind of feel like uh, Crystal Dynamics are, are doing the same thing with Tomb Raider now. So you've got the remasters. They've hinted towards a new game that's coming. Apparently it's a unified Lara, whatever that means. They've announced it three years ago. I don't know what it means still. <laughs> um, but it's an interesting one. But I think the real question as well for Tomb Raider is like, how will these games be received but also whether they're going to do like another collection for 4, 5 and Angel of Darkness because that's the big one. There's a lot of love for Angel of Darkness out there. Um, didn't do well in its time. 20 years this year it, it was, uh, it's, been, it's been out. Unfinished date and everything else but it would be interesting to see like what they do. It's almost like the KOTOR 2, really, <laughs> of Tomb Raider, because there's so much stuff that's been cut and they could restore a lot of it. So um, hopefully they bring another one. But Metal Gear Solid, it's volume one. I'd love to see Metal Gear Solid 4 finally arrive. That'd be great <laughs> to see on a PS5. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Whatever they give us, we're just going to ask, could you not do a little bit more? <laughs> a little bit more, please. Yeah. <laughs> love it, love it. Hello again. I'm just taking a quick break from the episode to tell you about the RadioTimes.com gaming newsletter. Stuffed with all the latest news, reviews and explainers, this free weekly email will really help you stay ahead of the game. It'll arrive in your inbox every Wednesday, highlighting all the releases you need to know about along with my genuine recommendations. So if you're enjoying this podcast, head over to RadioTimes.com slash gaming newsletter to hear more from me every week. And now, back to the episode. So I'm going to ask you some quick-fire questions now, Daryl Baxter. Oh, right. The first one of which being console or PC? Console. Solo or multiplayer? Multiplayer. Interesting. I thought you would have gone. Solo. You know, it, it was, but the thing is, like, now that I'm, I'm a dad, I'm thinking, like, what games can I play with my son, you know, in the next few years? Because, like, I play a lot of Mario Kart 64 with some close friends of mine. Always do. 
and yeah, it was solo when you asked me. <laughs> Recently, it's now multiplayer. <laughs> but you got to plan ahead. Yeah, I got to. <laughs> uh, gaming chair or sofa? Sofa, so um, Arthur can sit alongside me and I can teach him um, Metal Gear. <laughs> <laughs> Pass on your Metal Gear knowledge. Yeah, he's had to do it. <laughs> Here's the correct order in which to play this. Yes. <laughs> uh, PlayStation or Xbox? PlayStation. Nintendo or Sega? Sega because of the frog. <laughs> uh, headphones or TV speakers coming at you? Oh, I, I don't want to have an angry wife, so headphones has to be. Uh, all your answers are very considerate of, uh, of the family around <laughs> you, which is nice, very wholesome. Uh, and so you have a full evening ahead of you to game right now. What games are you kind of rushing to, to finish at the moment? Oh, it has to be like the collection, Metal Gear Solid collection. I mean, because... I'm sorry to tear you away from it. To do this I know, I, I, how dare you? But yeah, <laughs> um, so they've included that integral release, which includes, you know, not just Metal Gear Solid, but the VR missions, but also there's unique features as well in it. So you can have like a, um, a first-person viewpoint in Metal Gear Solid 1. You can't shoot like Metal Gear Solid 2, but you can run around, um, which is an interesting one. And a very easy mode where they give you like just a free gun um, for no reason at all. But that is a game that I'm hurrying to finish with a VR mission so I can play as Ninja. Nice, nice. <laughs> and uh, on this uh, evening with video games, what snacks and drinks are you going to surround yourself with? Um, has to be Iron Brew Extra. I love that. I love that <laughs> drink. I, it's, it's nectar. It's amazing. Um, and the snack, there's this um, independent near us uh, called Doloco. Amazing pizza. Um, it's got like like a honey marinara base and like all these drizzles and oh it's, it's fresh as anything I'll just have that and be like yep yeah, I'm good with that <laughs> no, Do Loco is it? yeah Do Loco yeah. I'll have to come up and see you and we can <laughs> get Do, it, Do yeah. Loco together yeah. Yeah, sounds good <laughs> just invite myself around and the final question if you could only play one more game for the rest of your life what would it be and why <sighs> oh this is you know this answer has changed like constantly you know but I feel like because it's like defined a lot of like the career like leading up to now and especially after TR27 and you know just how much it's, it's really defined this it has to be Tomb Raider 2 really that's that is the game for me um, the secrets the music you know how um, it, it translated into the making of Tomb Raider book everything um, and it never gets old I can play Venice like repeatedly on that boat it's ridiculous and lock Winston in the freezer countless times I do not mind <laughs> it doesn't stop being funny does not stop no so it would be that one Awesome. And is that the same? If I, was, if I had have asked you what's like your favorite game of all time, would you have a different answer? Yes. <laughs> what would the answer to that be? Yeah, I mean, it would be like between like Sonic 3 and Knuckles because you got like the orb sprawling zones, the, the, the Super Emeralds. Um, you know, you've got Metal Gear Solid like collection, you've got Integral. Um, but there's so much, you know, there's so many there. I mean, even things like Ridge Racer or Tekken Tag Tournament. I mean, I just love those kind of games. It's, it's ridiculous. But yeah, it, it's a. The thing is, for someone like me who grew up from the nineties, to see all these games come back in all, all their glories, it's 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 incredible. And I do feel like, oh, like where is his genie again? Let's let's get Tekken Tag Three, like, please, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, awesome. Well, sorry to say, you can't have any of those. You ha you chose too much. Fine, yeah, that's it. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, well, thank you very much, Darren, for taking the time. It's been lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to One More Life. For more from us, head over to radiotimes.com slash gaming. There you'll find all the latest news, reviews and guides that you need to know about. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and leave a review on your podcast app of choice. We'll be back on this feed soon with some more gaming goodness. And until then, happy playing. <laughs>